0: Thank you for tuning in to this Eastern Maine Sports Podcast. Please follow Eastern Maine Sports on Facebook and Instagram at Eastern Maine Sports and Twitter at Eastern Sports. Thank you for joining us today on this Eastern Maine Sports Podcast. Um, today we're going to talk about um, MPA reclassification. Um, um, that happened April 25th, and we're going to just talk about um, some of the changes that, that were made here Um um, some big changes, especially in uh, in football. Some in basketball too. Also, there's a, there, there has been some in uh, other sports also um, cheering and uh, cheering and uh, softball and baseball. First in baseball, softball, and soccer. Um, few changes, not not huge changes, but uh, Brewer, Brewer in those three sports they move up to Class A. Uh, Lawrence moves to Class B. And, um, Washington Academy and Mount view moves down to class C and that's in baseball, softball and soccer. Um, so not a lot of changes there, but you know, a few that affect uh, some of our local teams up here, uh, mainly Brewer, the defending state champions, um, right now in baseball and softball will be in class a next season. So that's, that's the big news there. Um, also in, uh, uh, cheering, uh, Brewer, Mount blue, Lawrence will drop to class B. Um, and Foxcroft, Washington Academy, Mount View will drop to Class C. And Narraguegas, Lee, Booth Bay, Wisconsin, and Penquist will drop to Class D, uh, with um in uh, some of the changes there. Um, you know, now we're gonna jump um right into basketball. There are not a lot, not a lot of changes. There could have been. There was uh, the one of the one of the first um, proposals that came out, um, there were some uh, big changes. I've got Bob Beatham um with me tonight. And I also got Andrew Hart from Maine High School Football um, with us tonight. Um, First Bob, let's um, just start with um, some of the changes in basketball. um, And mainly, um, so Holton Holton and Woodland, really, the only changes up here, right?
1: Right. Holton's going to be going to Class B next year. Uh, Woodland is just one over the cutoff. They're at 130 students for the next classification cycle. Uh, So they're going to be in Class C.
0: Yeah. And, and um, you know, there, there were some major changes that were originally going to be um, had, huh, but they uh, kind of um, that just didn't happen. huh?
1: Yeah. The uh, proposal was going to be that there were two, actually two proposals. One was going to raise the class CD cutoff to 139 students. So that would have had Woodland, Central Roostick, Hodgdon and I believe the oh, Fort Fairfield was the other one in northern Maine and then Richmond in southern Maine. And then ultimately, it was decided that they were going to keep the cutoff at 129 students. Now, now, do you like that in basketball? I, I really don't, to be honest with you. Uh, for one thing, Class D South this year, you only had nine schools, so consequently, eight went to the Augusta Civic Center. You had a two and sixteen team or a three and fifteen team um, going to Augusta to have to play the number one seed. It used to be the tournament was the culmination of having a great season and it was kind of a, uh, you know, celebration of having a great season. Um, You know, when we went to five classes, I think it watered down the tournament, especially in the smaller classes as well. And, uh, you know, what we, what I really noticed over the last four years too, is that your seven and eight seeds, Oh, Again, yeah, we're going to five classes. Those are schools that probably, well, that, you know, wouldn't have been tournament teams prior to going to five classes. So um, I can understand maybe some of the smaller schools' concern about enrollment differential. Uh, however, when you really look at it, there's right now there's only five schools in the state that have over a thousand students. So really, in my opinion, enrollment differential, is not as significant an issue as maybe it was uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I remember back in the mid-90s, Bangor High School had 1,500 students in it, uh, and they were competing against schools such as Old Town in the area. Uh, Brewerwood, which about had 750, 800 students. So um, if anything, there's less of a need now for five classes, not more.
0: Right. And uh, obviously we saw a lot more lopsided scores at the cross center this um, past February than in past, past years. And that has something to do with it. And one last thing I'm going to talk about basketball and it kind of leads into football too, and mainly all sports, but what do you guys think about relegation? If you know, um, like they do in other States, Um, what's your opinion on that book?
1: I'm sorry. uh... Uh,
0: Like relegation, like, you know, if you finish at the bottom, you go down a class or, or whatnot. Um, i think they do. i'm Indiana. not i'm not sure well i think
1: you know especially in basketball too things fluctuate from year to year i remember you know Bangor won the state championship this year you know two years ago now they won six games they were six and twelve two years ago so things are especially in basketball where you know one or two players you know you know maybe transferring in or coming into your program make a big difference uh it's so fluid i'm not sure that that would uh, necessarily work however I would question too, with the number of sports that we offer, as opposed to 20, 30 years ago, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, strict enrollment classification was the right way to go about things. I'm not sure that straight enrollment is necessarily the way to go. I I think enrollment should be a big factor. However, What you could also do, too, again, the teams that are going to be at the top of the classification, your big schools like your Bangor, your Thorntons, you know, Lewiston, those schools, they're going to be Class A regardless. But what you could do is say Class A's 650 students to, you know, the largest school, Thornton Academy. You take that 100 students, though, say between 600 and 750, and you can, you know, the committee could kind of flex the schedule, so, you know, if you're around 700 and your program's struggling, you don't have a lot of participation, you can, pl- you know, you could possibly be a class B school where a school of, say, maybe 650 to 675 that you get a lot of kids playing and um, that type of thing, you could possibly play in class A. So I would like to see a little bit of flexibility uh, that way as far as uh, classifications is concerned uh, with all sports, not uh, just basketball. Definitely good thoughts
0: there. Um, Andrew, let's jump right into uh, football now. And let's talk about um, kind of what's done at the top of uh, top of class A, B first before we get into the, the other stuff. But um, Wyndham, Deer, and Massabesic, Portland, South Portland all dropped um, to class B. I mean, Portland and Wyndham were kind of powerhouses not that long ago. And now they're going to be playing in class B. Um, what do you think about that, Andrew?
2: Uh, It has definitely been one of the most hot-button topics I've seen in a while, probably going back to um, this whole idea to go down to four classes. Um, You know, the the thing about all these moves has come into, you know, the the declining enrollment, not just uh, down here and not just up there. So down here in Southern Maine, you can say it's a statewide trend. Um, To kind of jump onto what um, Bob was talking about, uh, potential ideas i've seen the gamut run out from everywhere about you know tossing ideas out there for relegating teams or, i'm sorry relegating schools that are kind of struggling at the the higher classifications giving bump-ups to those schools that are dominating at the lower classifications um when I look at everything that we've kind of done, you know, it, it makes sense in a, in a state that's rural like Maine, and it's a trend that you see echoed throughout much of the country, your smaller, your higher classifications is just, you're going to see fewer and fewer schools in there. Eight schools, I think was a bit too small. And I think that some schools unfortunately got an unnecessary pass going down. You're right. Um, when you look at a Wyndham, when you look at a Portland, those are two schools that have just been absolutely dominating Northern A. Um, my biggest beef with Class A's structure has always been this, this North South breakdown. Um, and maybe this is kind of an unfair generalization, but I always looked at it as at class A, your, your two best schools in the class should be playing. There shouldn't be a north-south breakdown. And I say, if you do that, yeah, you're going to probably get an unfair representation down here in Southern Maine about it. But at the same time, um, you know, maybe you can kind of tear things off because that was another idea was the, the, the discussion about a tiering schedule. You've got some schools that said they just absolutely couldn't compete with the Thornton Academies and the Scarboroughs and the uh, Bonnie Eagles. So how about if they could kind of overload Class A and give teams a chance to play schools that are kind of on the lower end of the competitive scale? Then the argument came into play of, well, geez, now you've got a Marshwood, now you've got a Noble, now you've got a Gorham, these bigger Class B schools that shouldn't be placed into Class A because of a competitive mismatch. And it's, it's exposed a lot of interesting quirks and flaws in how we look about um, coordinating and aligning schools. And quite frankly, I don't know if there's an easy way to actually solve things because it's going to be, it's not one that's going to make everybody happy. And you're going to find schools that are outmatched or you're going to find too big of a school and too low of a classification or a smaller school put into a larger classification.
0: Yeah, no. You know, you mentioned Thornton Academy, Bonnie Eagle, and Scarborough. They've accounted for what the last seven state titles or whatever. Um, now, you know, obviously, do you think that's why? Why I mean, obviously, they did it by numbers, but you think that's why these numbers were kind of they move to what they are? Yes,
2: yes, I think you've gotten some of these schools that were coming into the season, maybe not with a small squad but maybe just understanding that they're going to be competitively outmatched. So you, you heard quite frequently about the idea that Portland and Deering, you know, the two high school, um, the two high school or public high schools in Maine were going to make the drop down to B, and they also kind of did that through I don't know if gerrymandering the system is the fairest way to put it, but you heard the talk that they were going to change how Casco Bay High School, which is another smaller school down here in the Portland area, were going to have their students be attributed instead of it kind of being an even split between Deering and Portland casco bay high school was going to be treated like a co-op which in terms of fairness yes i think they should just like you see um buckfield being treated as a co-op to oxford hills you see um some of these other uh co-ops throughout the state being allowed to exist and using the co-op formula which is as a school as a secondary school merges into a primary, you take the percentage of kids that are going to be comprising that schedule and using that to determine the, um, the co-op, which kind of a little bit off topic, but if you look at ever since the, the MPA changed how the co-op rule came into play, football schools in Maine have kind of exploded with other co-ops now taking you know taking shape I want to say we're up to maybe 20 or 21 schools that are um, part of a co-op down here now we're not seeing co-ops as in two two towns that really can't form their own football program suddenly merging together for um for competitive purposes what you're seeing is you know you look up at Holton um, you got Holton, you got Greater Holton Christian Academy, and then you've got Hodgden, which are kind of forming together their own co-op. You look at Stearns and Shank. Um, you look at um, I want to, you know, coming down this way, I could say Lisbon and Saint Dom's. So that was a smart move to go to for the um, the co-ops, but. Now you're starting to see some of these people coming in saying, well, geez, you know, Falmouth Greeley was much too big. They, they should be a class A school. Um, again, it, it just kind of was, there is no pleasing everybody.
0: Uh, Bob, what are your thoughts on some of these um, these changes that were made and, and how class A and B are kind of lined up now?
1: Oh, well, I certainly, if I'm a class B program or traditional B program, I'm certainly not happy about that. I think you look at Class A too, and uh, another thing I'd like to present too is that a lot of time, it, you know, just to kind of dispel some misconceptions about the Main Principles Association, the MPA is a membership-run organization. A lot of people they think of the MPA is, you know, people sitting in a room down in Augusta making decisions, and it's not. It's the membership. They form committees. Uh, be made up of individual principals, ADs, and they'll form committees. So being a or- membership-run organization can be a positive thing, but at the same time, when you look at proposals and you see you know, maybe why proposals come about, you also kind of have to look at, well, who's on the, um, on the uh, football committee, who's on the classification committee, how does that affect their school? And ultimately, while these people serve on committees, their main employment or the main um, means is to serve the content, you know, the constituents of the schools where they're employed at, um, which I think in some cases can create a conflict of interest as far as you know, do we do what's in the best interest of our school? We you know look at football as a whole, but. Um, but obviously, if you get got a school of 950 students, which is the Class A cutoff, they, in my opinion, should be you know, playing Class A football. Um, you know, Portland should be playing Class A. Daring should be playing Class A. Uh, Massa Basic should be a Class A program because the infrastructure in your program is not strong enough to compete. It's not a reason to drop down in class, in my opinion. Um, and the reason Thornton Academy is strong, the reason Bonnie Eagle strong, the reason Scarborough strong is because they've got you know coaches that have uh that have you know kevin kiesel's been there a long time as assistants i mean he hasn't had you know much turnover in his staff same thing with kevin cooper at bonnie eagle uh you know coach johnson's built a nice program at scarborough and they really promote youth football in those programs the communities are on board um and those types of things as well so uh, so I have a real problem, too, as far as, you know, the Class A structure. I, I, I don't think it's real good for football. And it really, um, you know, puts, you know, some schools, you know, that are struggling, too. You know, you're forced to, you know, to face a Thornton and a Scarborough and a body Eagle, you know, throughout your schedule. All three of those games where maybe, you know, you could possibly, if you had a larger Class A, you could kind of tear you know, the schedule out a little, out a little bit as well so uh one other thing i'd like to say too before we move on is that uh as far as thornton academy is concerned we've talked about this you know before seems like people are absolutely losing their minds over thornton academy (laughs) (laughs) you know they're a semi-private school they get they get all these advantages they reason thornton academy successful number one you know people in saco care about football they've been able to get great, you know, they have great facilities, people support the program from the ground up. Um, And they say, well, you know, they draw kids from all over or whatever. And, you know, the kids from Dayton, the kids from Arundel, those places, they're going to go to school somewhere. Those kids are going to be attracted to Thornton Academy because the program is strong. Probably, you know, two decades ago, uh, those kids were going to Bitterford, There was a powerhouse down there, or they might have Gone somewhere else, but um, they've got a lot of excitement about football and soccer at Thornton Academy, and um, and that and that's the reason they're successful. So, um, but you know, the pe- people absolutely losing their minds over this. It's, uh, Thornton Academy's been in existence since, since I believe the 1800s. They've been playing football for who knows how long, and then all of a sudden, over the last eight or nine years people have a problem with Fort academy. I don't I don't get it.
2: It's almost like if you go back, you know, five, six, seven years, the same the same level of comments were being waged at Cheverus. Oh my yeah. God, Cheverus is a private school. They're they're getting kids from all over. It's an unfair competitive balance. I mean, never mind the fact that Coach John Wolfgram came in there having a a, a legacy of success everywhere he's ever gone to, yeah. came in there and he was able to put his stamp of approval on on a team that previously wasn't really that. That's strong. Then they, he slowly built them from the ground up. They were a very dominant team. He ended up leaving and they quickly came back down to earth. And I I see a lot of parallels between the complaints being waged at Thornton Academy that I remember being waged at Chevers. It's like, there is a culture of, we want schools to do well, but we don't want them to do too well. We're happy when they win, when they haven't won in forever, but we want to punish their success you know, we don't want every kid to win a trophy, but, oh, my God, you know, everybody else has to have a chance. And, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head on it, Bob. Um, You know, you've got a program in Thornton Academy that has found a way to develop successful football to keep kids engaged from the early levels, um, you know, in elementary school going all the way up to high school and maybe that's something that can't be replicated at other schools but for those schools where it can i simply say shame on those those communities for looking for um trying to punish thornton academy for doing what they themselves haven't been able to do absolutely yeah. yeah, and the
0: goal should be to try to be like them, not to try to avoid them. You know that that's that, that's what the goal should be to try to try to as you said replicate what what they do. And uh, yeah. you know, absolutely. Them- I
1: mean, right not to interrupt Margaret, just uh biggest question should be, you know, what in the world's going on with uh, football in the city of Portland that you know Portland and Deering struggle to get kids to play football? That I mean, that's the biggest question. Um, you know, why is why is youth football in the city of Portland or, or some of these other schools? Uh, I know Bangor's, you know, in, been in the midst of their struggles, but um, they're building that youth football program back. Uh, that program's going to be much more competitive in the coming years too. And I think you'll see them kind of get back to to where they were at one time.
0: Yeah, uh, it's going to be tough in that, in, you know, with the same class as those three teams, but they'll definitely, they're building it right
2: there and then you're uh, exactly right Bob. Um, I'm going to kind of jump in here you know when you look at Portland and Deering um, there was a period of time where Deering was having that level of success at Class A that they were a kind of a maybe not a perennial state um, contender but you definitely see them in the semifinal or the regional semifinals um, it, it, it's it's at, a, at the bigger communities It's not just as simple as saying, well, geez, they need to have the right coach and that makes everything tick at a larger, at these larger schools, when you're competing against other communities that are going to have larger rosters that are going to have more developed youth programs going in that are going to have coaching systems that are that are dedicated, not just to winning, but also at making sure that they've got sustainment at all levels. I think a lot, you know, you're going to, you need to find that consistency at your coaching level. Absolutely. I think you need to find coaches that are willing to be in the program for the long haul, not just a guy that's going to come along and say, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to be here. I'm going to develop a great program. Then all of a sudden he's gone or somebody is like, geez, this is too much after two years of trying to coach football. I'm out the door. Uh, the next one is uh, some of these communities are having problems um, with, and, and this isn't really, it's not an indictment on the football team or the community per se, but some of these communities are just running into other more attractive options for, for their students in the, in the fall time. Soccer and football in this area is always going to have kind of that tug of war between whether kids want to go towards soccer or whether they want to stay in football. And I don't think it's fair to say, geez, you know, it's a soft community because kids want to go play soccer um just like you you don't want to say geez you know it's a soft community because nobody wants to go for the football team shifting demographics shifting kind of profiles of the 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 teams that exist for instance you can look up there at lewiston there is a period of a time where lewiston everybody was kind of saying geez you know everybody wants to be a blue devil everybody wants to play football under was it i believe it was uh, coach county coach bill county if i remember right And as you saw some of the changing demographics of the city, suddenly soccer became more of an attractive option to those kids. And you're kind of seeing that down here in Portland. I don't think that it's, you know, kids just don't want to compete. Kids aren't physical enough. Kids would rather sit down and play video games all day. I don't think that's the case at all. I think kids are just, there's a lot of options out there. And for some of them that may have played football in the past and they found an option that's that's better suited to them whether it's you know playing soccer or whether it's maybe even playing some sort of a junior program i know uh, it's kind of unrelated to the topic but you can see that in the hockey community a lot of kids that may have traditionally played for their high school team are now playing for local
0: junior teams great great points guys um i think we're gonna move we'll move on to um talk about Eight man now, does
1: that sound good? Yeah, you, know, uh, you know, one of the uh, point I'd like to make too is, uh, you know, when we talk about the football committee. Uh, only four or five people that are on the football committee. So, yeah, uh, you know, how big of a representation does that really give? Uh, you know, the main high school football as a whole. And then two of two of the football committee members are in schools that are going to be playing eight man football uh, this fall. So, you know, maybe having a broader, you know, representation of the um, football community as a whole might make sense to the football committee. And, you know, it doesn't make sense at this point too, to possibly reach out to retired ADs, you know, retired coaches that are football people to help steer these committees that don't, that aren't, you know, tied to a particular school or, uh, that can maybe take a broader look and maybe objectively look at what's best in the interest of the main high school football and not necessarily in the best interest of their particular school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely good points. And you know,
0: that's uh that's uh you know, to broaden that would be much better than have just four or five, four or five people in there. Uh, any final thoughts on that, Andrew?
2: Um, having a little bit more of an, um, an expanded representation would definitely do the programs good because some of these communities don't really have a, don't really have as much of a problem than say, you know, a class A community may have different issues facing them than say a Northern class D or, you know, we're looking at, say, the Big 11 conference, which is some pretty good continuity in only a short time. But then you look at the Campbell conference, which seems to change almost every year. So I definitely would have no problem seeing and maybe a, you add in an additional two or three um, people, as long as it doesn't get to the point where we've got regional football committees, I think having it expanded, where you can get more opinions out there. And as you were saying, Bob, maybe not just going with active administrators and active coaches, but also reaching out to those former coaches, maybe even reaching out to the college ranks. I know that's a little bit outside the purview of the MPA, but you're seeing a lot of the college coaches developing that sort of interest at the high school ranks I mean yeah they're they're recruiting from here but they have just as much of a vested interest in making sure high school football is successful as they do their own college program. so if they know that you know if they have ideas that maybe could help improve high school football could go away you know could go towards, getting kids more interested into the sport, I say absolutely invite them to the table. Yeah, I a Great
1: idea, absolutely.
0: No doubt about it. Um, now I'm going to ask you both a question here. Um, we're going to go on to eight-man football, but because there's such few teams that join, I'm just going to ask you each a question. Uh, first, that was you, Bob. What's the negative and same question to both of you, but what's the, what's the negative in eight-man football to the teams that need it?
1: I don't think there's negative at all. uh, What I would have liked to have seen is maybe take it a step further and have schools placed in eight man football. Now you could appeal to play 11 man, but you have to have a pretty compelling reason in order for that appeal to be approved. So I I mean, I think it's a good start this year, but I would have liked to have seen it maybe taken a step further, Uh, not only to better eight man football, but it also would benefit 11 man football as well. It's not fair to, you know, if you're only playing eight games a season to have two of those two or three, you know, games against teams that have absolutely no business competing on a field 11 on 11 with, with an established program with 35, 40 kids. Um, so I, I, would have liked to have maybe seen that uh, taken a step further, but um and have teams actually placed an eight-man with an opportunity to appeal. But, again, it's it's a good start. I, but I certainly don't see any negatives as far as uh, eight-man football is concerned.
0: Now, same to you, Andrew. And, uh, you know, Andrew, you can probably give us more detail on the eight-man football. How's it going to look here this fall and, and kind of the whole setup and maybe – how the league's going to work and, and how the game's going to work look to somebody just watching it. It'd be the first time I've seen it. You know, when I go cover a game, if I do, that would be the first time I, I see it. Can you just tell us about that?
2: Um, before we jump in there, I just wanted to answer your question really quickly. I think if there's one negative to come out of this is that everybody who is focusing on eight man hasn't really been also thinking about the JV program. Um, when you look at other um when you look at other states that run eight man football it is eight man from you know early on all the way through high school um i would say that these coaches that are kind of keeping an eye on going into eight man really should also be thinking about doing the same thing at jv because as we're seeing from a lot of coaches um that are advocating for eight man they're they're pretty much coming out into the open and saying look part of these struggles of these schools that have gone to eight man is because they don't really have, they don't have an opportunity for their uh, sophomores or their freshmen or their sophomores to play meaningful football against like level or like aged um, opponents. You know, how many teams are you seeing in class C or class D that are able to play um, JV football? And I would be willing to Bet. I don't have the numbers to back it up, but I'd be willing to bet that you're not going to see a whole lot of teams having that opportunity because, in order to field out a a, a decent JV squad, you're going to have to pull kids that are playing varsity, and at that point, you're running the risk of wear of additional wear and tear on a kid's body. Football is a very tough sport, but you know you've got kids who are developing both physically as well as um, mentally wise and you don't want to overexpose them to the sport as much as they want to play it but you also want to be able to get your youth your younger kids more involved in football so it's not just hey guess what you're going to be a freshman and a sophomore just go sit on the bench we'll call you up whenever we need um, people to beat up on you in the fourth quarter in case we go up by a lot or we're down by a lot so i think that right there would be the one thing that I like that I think is the negative from all this.
0: So just to clarify what you're saying, the teams that have eight man football at uh, the varsity level on heaven and the JV level.
2: Correct. correct. Yes. Yes. Oh. And I think you could even may, maybe take that a step further for these other programs that are border that are, Maybe 20, 25, maybe even 30 kids that are able to keep an 11 man program going and they can do well at the varsity level, but there's no way they could ever get a, a JV team together.
0: Right. Yeah. If that so makes sense. It, yes, it does. Because, you know, some of these, you know, smaller class D schools could, could, you know, a lot of the same kids are playing both and, yeah, be probably benefit from eight man football. But, um, well, that's good information. Now, uh, Andrew, just, Uh, You have a lot of information about the eight man football. Could you uh, give us that information?
2: I do. Uh, ever since the articles came out back in 2010 about um, uh, football up in the county, getting into eight-man football, about them basically trying to make it work outside of the MPA's view, we're finally at this point. It's only taken us nine years of hearing about it and debating it and, and throwing it aside and then finally trying it and then kind of saying, well, guess what? Eight, uh, Class E isn't going to work. We honestly need to do this. Um it's a shame that there are still so many people in this state that are still kind of looking down their nose at eight man football, because I think the whole goal of going with eight man is that we want to have kids playing football. That should always be the goal, no matter what, whether it's, you know, playing, you know, 11 man or playing eight man who cares you ask anybody that's ever been involved with the sport football is football just because it's not the sort of football you see on a saturday afternoon at the college level or it's not not the sort of football you see on a sunday or a monday night for the pro game people kind of need to get over this mental block that it's not a football game because you could go to oklahoma kansas nebraska you could go to eight man football where it's just being started out in michigan or new york and they will tell you up and down that it is real football you're tackling you're hitting you're running you're scoring points and you're trying to defend um your opponent from getting points that's football regardless um It's been an interesting path to get to this point. And I know there hasn't been a whole lot of talk about what to expect. Um, While I've been trying to get my annual uh, schedule updates, I was able to hear from a couple of the folks on the eight man side. So I can kind of shed a little bit of light on what to expect. So at the main level, eight man football will be 100 yards by 40 yards wide. That's about 13 yards shorter on the sidelines. But if you think about it, um, where you got fewer kids, you really don't need as wide of a field. So playing a slightly shorter field, I think that's fine. Um, for those who aren't familiar with 8-man, before I get too much further in some of the changes, 8-man, um, like 11-man, it's the same thing. You just get rid of three positions. Um, usually on the line, you're reducing two of your linemen and you're also reducing one of your skilled players whether it's a tight end a wide receiver or a running back um, in 8 man football your two outside players are eligible receivers so you could do a heavy stack you could put three men off to or two men off to one side of the ball or three men off to one side of the ball two men off to the other side of the ball and you, your outermost people are eligible receivers um, another big thing that oftentimes goes unlocked is defensive coordinators often hate having to, uh, to scheme out for eight man football. And the reason why is that when you look at 11 man, you only have a total of five eligible players that can catch the ball or, or run the ball. So if you are coordinating your defense, you can put three people on the line and you could commit eight people between your safeties, your cornerbacks, or your um, linebackers at eight man football. You don't really have that luxury because if you're going to match up every single person to a skilled position, you've only got one um, safety or one defensive back or one linebacker that you can really have kind of playing a zone style defense. So it's very common that yeah, you're going to have the elig- You know, you're going to have the opportunity for high scores because you don't have those extra bodies out there that can focus on the offense. Another thing that you'll hear quite often is, unlike the eleven-man game, yeah. where you can basically grind an opponent down if you max everybody on the line against a t- an opponent that likes to run. You can have some of your less skilled kids playing on the line, basically taking up space In eight man football. You don't really have that luxury. Every kid needs to be skilled and every kid needs to be adept at making that one-on-one tackle. Because if a kid cannot make that one-on-one tackle, you don't have as many players behind him to be able to kind of cover up for his mistake. Chances are, if you've blown, if uh, your defense blows two tackles, you've got a guy who's basically heading down for a score. Now, every state that plays eight-man football is a little bit different. Maine will not be using a mercy rule. Um, A mercy rule, to be quite honest, is if a team is leading by X number of points after halftime, the game is over. Um, We're still going to be using our 35-point running clock. Um, Also... Points will remain, or scoring and points will remain the same. A field goal is still going to be three points. Um, a touchdown is still going to be worth six. A team will have the option to kick a point after try for, a po- um, for the single point, or they have the chance of, of playing for a conversion for two. With fewer guys on the line, you may not see a lot of teams going for those field goals. You may see a lot more teams being willing to go for the conversion or go for the play after a touchdown. Also, you may not see a lot of teams that are going to be dedicated to punting on fourth down just because you don't have as many people back that can defend for you. So there's a greater chance of a punt being broken open. So you're, you know, you got to kind of plan out, Would you rather punt the ball away and run the risk of giving up a, a, a touchdown or basically not going any further? maybe having a bad run or maybe an incomplete pass. And that's kind of, you know, going from, you know, you're going to kind of be stuck where you're at, but at least, you know, how far back you got to, you know, for your back to the end zone. Um, The schedule will be eight games. The schedule breakdown is going to be six games in your, their two divisions, the small school and the large school division. Now each school Each division only has five teams. So that means that with six games being played, two teams will be played twice during the schedule. Um, For those folks in Ellsworth, that means that they're going to play a game against Green and Gloucester, Moranacook, Mount Ararat, and Yarmouth, but two of those other teams will be featured twice so it'll give a chance for Ellsworth to have a home and home series against uh two of the teams down here in southern Maine and then they'll also be playing two games against the smaller conference small school division so that could be either Booth Bay or Old Orchard Beach or Sacopee Valley or Telstar or Trape Academy um so that's really kind of been it. A lot of the coaches haven't had the opportunity to see eight-man football. The nearest state that you can find for eight-man football is New York, and that's really more at the central part of the state because it's still slowly expanding out there. Um I know Skip Capone, who is one, or Skip Capone, who is one of the assistants for Colby, is going to be putting on an eight-man program this upcoming Saturday for basically anybody across the state, and he's really put the word out there, trying to encourage as many schools to come in. Maybe not those that want to play eight-man football, but trying to get those that are influential factors that can kind of advocate for to tell these these schools that are at the borderline, hey, look yeah there's some community backlash yeah you're going to get some uneducated types that don't understand the breakdown of football but you know what it's not the boogeyman everybody thinks it is and if people are exposed to it maybe they won't have kind of that negative impression of it at first when they get a chance to talk about it and hear
0: about it oh great great information there andrew a lot of stuff um now a little bit more about what's what's going on at Col—is it at Colby this weekend? You said, uh, and is uh, that on your site? Yes, uh, I
1: believe it's the Bates Bates Co- He's the assistant coach at Bates College. Oh, sorry, yeah, Bates College. My ball. Okay,
0: so, so at Bates, and uh, can they find that right on your Facebook page?
2: Yes, I've, um, I think I put up a, a couple items on it. It's also on my website at com, which is the street address and the, um, the times for the, uh, for the clinic.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, that's, uh, that's great information. And what's uh, kind of been on your page, kind of the overall feeling of maybe uh, parents, fans, uh, everybody about, about the eight-man football?
2: If we were talking about this maybe three or four months ago, I think the impression would have been, well, that's great they play it in other states, but this is Maine, and we don't play that sort of thing. We play 11-man in Maine. Um, Well, you know, my kid won't get noticed because it's only eight-man football. And some of these other really... Some of these other comments that weren't really grounded in any sort of reality other than people's kind of misconceptions or fears that because it's not like the football they see, Did it's a Can you hear me? Little... Yeah.
1: I
0: can.
2: Can you hear me, Bob? Oh,
1: there we go. Okay. Mark. I thought I lost you there for a second. Okay.
2: There we go. <laughs> um, what I was just gonna say was, you know, four months ago. The perception of it was drastically different. I think now as people are finding out that it's real football, that everybody is getting behind it at the the MPA level, at the athletic conference level, and even at most of the school levels, um, I think you're seeing the perception starting to change, and I think it's going to even it's going to get better when people have a chance to see it and it kind of dispels some of these rumors that oh Jesus, just going to be 70 or 80 points every single game, or oh my God, um, you know the small schools are just going to get completely hammered by the bigger schools and it's not even going to be any fun. Once people kind of get a chance to to see it in action. I think it's going to change the perception. And I also think that some of these borderline schools across the state who are in class D only because of their own macho perception that they're going to make 11 man work no matter what. And there's a few schools that I'm not going to mention, but I think we all know who I'm going to be referencing. I think once they see it, they're going to have a chance to kind of evaluate it and realize, geez, you know, this really wasn't that bad of a thing. I, you know, it it's done a lot for the programs. It's encouraged kids to come out. Now, granted, it may not be like the way it was 10, 15, 20 years ago, but this is the football we've got, and I'm willing to commit to it. So maybe next year you're going to see a few more programs kind of move over and give it a shot that didn't this year.
0: Excellent. Good, great points. Um, is we're going to just, I want to go to each of you. Uh... Wanna kinda any final thoughts? Um we'll go start with you, Bob. Any final final thoughts?
1: Uh no, again, I think uh going to eight man football I think is a great step forward. Uh, again, I think as far as the classification, it you know, we may be in a point now too where we may uh rather than go every two years with scheduling and classification, we may just go, you know, year by year with this and see what happens. Uh well one question I wanna ask Andrew as well. Uh back to the eight-man football. Uh, any word on how the playoff structure is going to work with that?
2: It sounds like it's going to be just a simple three weeks that they will do the, the four out of the five teams will make the playoffs just because that's the only even way that it would work. Um, week 11 will be the state championship in eight-man um, only because they don't have enough teams to go a full four weeks. I haven't heard what site it is that they have in mind. Um, I'm kind of curious myself because, at, when you're only playing, um, uh, 100 by 40 fo- uh, 40 field, there's going to be some, um, res- there's going to be some considerations that are going to need to be in place for the field. For instance, if they want to go to a neutral place, like let's say they go to Fitzpatrick, they will need to kind of plan for how they want to change the field to allow for a smaller dimension, um, I'm going to go back to I'm going to go to six man football which is played throughout the country but primarily it's it's hot, a hotbed in Texas. Now in Texas they have basically their state football championship is dedicated over 4 weeks. And in order for them to play six man football they take the very first day and the Two morning, The two morning-slash-afternoon games are dedicated to eight six-man football. Now, six-man is played on a 40-by-80-yard field, so they need to bring in goalposts, they need to move the field in, and what they do is they lay tape down to kind of designate the field and then move in the sideline markers. So maybe if they want to play an eight, the eight-man class championship at Fitzpatrick, that's an idea they can do or maybe they pick one of the existing locations and they say, you are the high seed, you get to represent it. But at this time, I haven't heard uh, definitively what the plan is for that yet.
1: Now, will the state fund be the champion of the large school division versus the uh, champion of the, South school division, and the small school division or how, how is that gonna work?
2: Yes, it will be the small division versus the large division. It's definitely an interesting experiment considering you've I don't know if this has ever been done at any point by the MPA in any of their other sports so I'm very curious how we'll see these smaller schools and taking the larger schools and how they'll be able to compete um, I don't think it's going to be a blowout because if you're taking your 15 you know 10 or um, 15 16 17 up to 20 kids from each school I don't think the disparity in age, And talent's going to be the difference, say, from a Trape Academy going up to an Ellsworth. But we'll see how that kind of plays out.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Also, also your thoughts, too, uh, Andrew. I believe, and I I could be wrong on this, but I believe that Falmouth and Greeley is the first time that we've had a co-op program of two existing uh, football programs.
2: Um. Yes. If, if we ignore the fact that Jay and Livermore Falls was a result of a consolidation, right. And not right. a merging of the program. Yes. This would be the first time that a program, a football program did have to shut down and did merge over um, with Falmouth and Greeley co oping This is going to create a very real, um, an odd number of teams. And I've been kind of been, keeping an eye on the different schools in my request to see how things are going. For instance, I have seen the matrix for the big 11 conference. And from what I'm seeing, there will be two schools in there that are getting a bye week. Now, I don't know how many other schools are going to have to have a bye week as well in other conferences. I know the little 10 conference is going to go with a full eight game schedule. And they are going to be playing non-conference games. Uh, so far, it looks like each school will have to play one opponent outside of its conference, um, and that's kind of been borne out by, you know, for I'm going to, you know, for Dexter for and Mountain View. That's I've been able to kind of see what their schedules are. Um, in the upcoming weeks, I'm going to be trying to reach out to those schools as these schedules kind of get solidified, and I will be posting updates as they go along as I find out more about that.
0: Now, are we going to be doing a uh, Crabtree or Hill points?
2: They are going back to Crabtree, and I, I've kind of made the joke about this that every when we were using Crabtree points uh, three years ago. Everybody said it was a complete sham of a system. We need to get rid of it. We need to go back to heel points. And then you look at heel points and everybody was saying, oh my God, it's a sham of a system. How can a 1-in-7 uh, team make the playoffs while a 2 and sixteen did make the playoffs? Different, different strokes for different folks. Frankly, I think Crabtree is a little bit easier to wrap people's heads around. There's no point differentials. The only big thing about Crabtree points is that it's the combination of your winning percentage plus the average winning percentage of all the opponents you're playing, regardless of what class or conference they may be in. So the benefit for a team in Crabtree points, if they really wanted to game the system, would be to try to play tougher opponents, opponents that are likely going to have a better winning percentage because it's going to boost that winning percentage, uh, the overall opposing winning percentage, which usually makes up about 33 to 40% of a team's Crabtree points on average. The expectation is still going to be for them to win, but if a team does amazingly well, but they do that by basically playing a bunch of lower-ranked teams, it's going to be reflected because they're not going to be ranked number one or number two in their own conference.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. like You know, there's there's positives and negatives to to both uh, both systems there. Um, definitely. Um, anything else, Bob? Yeah. It's any. Kind of it, yeah. Any
1: word, Andrew, on the uh, on the scheduling with the Class A schools uh, in their Class B crossovers?
2: I don't. I, I am as interested as you are, as interested as everybody else is. They said that they are going to play a nine game schedule. So that's going to mean either they're going to play opponents multiple times, basically home and home games, or they're going to have to find opponents willing to play up a class. Could you possibly see a Bunny Eagle or Scarborough or Thornton Academy against say a Kennebunk or a Marshwood or a Falmouth uh, Greeley or, you know, these high level A and high level B teams playing uh, quite possibly, but a lot of the reasons why schools in class a were making that drop down to class B wasn't to be playing those higher ranked opponents. So I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of keeping in a level head about it. Just kind of on a a wait and see approach. So yeah, that's kind of my
1: answer to that one. I was uh, a little surprised too that because I think Chevrons is going to be very good in Class B this year. Uh, They returned quite a you know few kids from last year. I was a little bit surprised that they didn't petition up and play Class A, especially where the other Portland schools, Portland and Deering are now, you know, South Portland now going to be class B. I thought, you know, that might be a drawing card for Chevrolet. They may, you know, maybe draw some of those kids too, that, you know, wanted to play against the Bonnie Eagles and the Thorntons and the Scarboroughs. Uh, so I was a little bit surprised that they um, elected to play down as well.
2: I didn't like the layout of class a simply for a competitive schedule making perspective for that very reason. I think if class a could have kept 10 teams, uh, maybe you convince somebody else to stay up with Chevrolet. You could have had eight out of the 10 teams make the playoffs. You could have an even schedule. Nobody plays outside of the conferences. Everything I think would have worked out a lot better than what we're seeing right now. Um, I am going out on a, a limb by saying the toughest conference that you're going to see in the state will be Southern Class B. If you look at how it played out last year when you had Marshwood and Kennebunk. Now you're going to introduce Chevres, you're going to introduce Portland to the mix. You're going to also be looking at um, Gorham and Noble which are trying to rebuild their programs. Uh, South Portland has Aaron Filio who made the move over from Cape Elizabeth so the Red Riots are going to be trying to get you know their program restarted. You're going to see Biddeford in the mix. I think it's going to be probably one of the toughest conferences, and your team that is going to win out of there is really going to have earned that billing of being a regional champion.
1: Yeah. Uh, other thing, too, uh, now that uh, Class B North is, you know, you've got Wyndham in there, you've got Falmouth uh, Greeley, has there been any talk as far as, because this year, it's uh, the University of Maine's turn to host the Class game, has there been any talk as far as what they might do with the state championship games? Is the University of Maine still going to be in the mix for Class B, or do they possibly rotate the C and D at Maine and keep A and B at Fitzy?
2: Everything that I've heard says that they're still going to keep the three classes going. Um, I think it would be a shame to skip Class B just because you've gotten some more Southern Maine teams in the mix. In class B, I say, you know, for if these kids want it badly enough, they'll travel to Hades and back to play it, to play a state championship game. Um, I I say you keep it. You know, some of these programs uh, may not be happy. For instance, I could did, I heard a lot of flack amongst the Wyndham parents who said that they didn't like the fact that you could potentially see some of their kids going up to Brewer to play a game. Um to that i simply say you know go back 10 15 years where a bus ride of two hours was a reality you know maybe people in southern maine are a bit spoiled with having a um a lot of opponents in a very short proximity well at class b that's where you're going to start to see things kind of opening up where you're going to see you know road trips becoming a reality of over two hours i just say you know what it's the reality it's the way it is I don't think a kid will play football regardless if it's down the street or if it's on the other side of the state.
1: All right. And the reality is most of Class B is Augusta area, Waterville area. Uh, you've got, you know, Bruin-Hamden, um, you know, in the northern. But for the most part, it's probably an hour and a half bus ride for the most part. And, and you know, Wyndham's come up and played Bangor in Class A as well. So I'm not sure what the big issue is there either. Yeah, Exactly.
0: Um, anything else, guys?
1: No, I, I think that pretty much covers it. Just, uh, you know, a few thoughts as far as maybe, you know, looking at the makeup of some of the committees. Maybe, you know, we can kind of tweak that. And uh, I think having a more broad uh, perspective, too, on the football committee and, you know, different committees, I think, would be, you know, good going forward. And that way, you know, get a more, you know, objective look as far as what's best for, you know, main high school football. And, then... I,
2: and I would say maybe something to keep an eye on on the horizon, maybe not in the next two years, but something in a four to six year timeframe. If eight man football works, and eight man football in Maine takes off to the point where you're starting to see not just Existing programs making the move over to eight man, but maybe some of these newer communities, some of these communities that play non aligned, non MPA aligned football, like the program up in Presque Isle or the program there in, um, at Erskine Academy. Maybe you see some more of these schools that are saying, hey, look. We, you know, there's a program that we don't have to basically wait six years for to prepare ourselves. We can do maybe shorten the curve, the the learn the growing curve, with fewer kids, and eventually, I think in four to six years, the state may next be having to look at is five classes of football for only seventy-seven schools. Too many classes. Kind of the same thing. I think you're going to see in basketball. I think the reality is we don't want to water down the classes just so we can create a, the smallest, most minuscule amount of differential between the enrollment of one school to another. I think in football though, the idea, uh, Dwayne, um, the head coach over there at, um, at Ellsworth, Dwayne Dwayne Crawford, Dwayne Crawford, he came up, he had a very good quote, um, from the BDN, which was saying that if more schools were kind of looking at eight man football, They'd end up dropping class D, and schools would have to go at the very real reality of saying, Well, geez, if I want to play 11 man football that badly, I'm either going to play at class C or I should go down and play class C or uh, eight man.
1: Right. It's a good point. And I think that very well could happen in in not, you know, the not so distant future. Uh, again, you know, eight man's a start this year, but you've got a lot of programs that are that are playing 11 man that probably would benefit greatly and be very competitive and mate man as well. Uh, You know, at least, you know, five or six off the top of my head that I can think of right now. So, um, but I, I, so I think we're only going to see eight man football grow. And then, you know, we may, you know, contract back to 11 man. I mean, back to three classes uh, for 11 man in, in the not so distant future.
0: Excellent. Well, guys,
1: Maybe we could do this again, maybe
0: when schedules come out this summer, maybe, you know, around lo- lobster bowl time or something like that. And then maybe again before you know, definitely before the season. What do you think about that?
1: Absolutely. All my uh, my summer is, you know, between Mansfield Stadium It's gonna be pretty, pretty busy. But definitely as we get about into August and get close to the uh, start of high school football season, we'd definitely love to love to do it. No doubt about it, and, uh, and I'm uh,
2: I'm looking forward to July when uh, Lobster Bowl 30 fires up. So I would love yeah, to have a chance to uh, do another little round table.
0: Yeah, and is the uh, training camp up here at Dover again? Yes, it is. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, that, we'll probably see you then. And uh, no, that that would be good. And uh, no, this is great insight. And as I said, maybe when the schedules come out, we can talk more. And uh, definitely, yeah, definitely before the season.
1: The hour has flown by. Yes, yeah, it sure has.
0: Well, I want to. I want to thank you. Uh, my name is Mark Callen. I want to thank Bob Beetham and Andrew Hop for joining me tonight. Thank you, guys.
1: Hey, thanks for thank having you, me. Mark.
0: Yes, thank you, guys. Good night. Good
1: night.